This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Sarah. And on today's journey, we meet up with Liz from Prairie Smoke Threads. Yeah, I found her browsing social media. I was really captivated by her knitting artwork and her jewelry that she makes, um, inspired by the North Shore and places that she's been and hiked. So we had a really amazing time meeting up with her and hearing her story. Yeah, we found her, like Sarah said, on Instagram. And all we knew really about her was all of her knitting um, and her jewelry that she makes from the beach glass that she finds washed up on Lake Superior. And we didn't really realize, though, that she was a naturalist by trade and had been working kind of in that field, in the outdoor field, for quite some time. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Like, here we thought we were just going to interview, like, this amazing crafter, but then she had this really in-depth story to tell us of how that came to be. Yeah, so this podcast ended up being a bit longer than we usually do, but... I think that is well worth it, though, for the story that she tells during the interview with Sarah. So sit back, relax, grab your cup of coffee or tea and enjoy. Or maybe start knitting as you listen to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Without further ado, here is the interview with Liz from Prairie Smoke Threads. Prairie smoke actually is one of my favorite flowers. For me, like knitting is just a way to kind of help curb that anxiety and nervousness. Seeing that raw power of the lake is the other reason that it's just like, how could you not be inspired by that? And it's just crazy. Being at the lake for me is just humbling. Liz of Prairie Smoke Threads, and I was super inspired when I came across her um, on her Instagram page. She knits and she makes earrings, and she just had a lot of nature-inspired photos on her um, page. Don't mind the noise. That is Puppy Seamus. He's almost one, so you might hear background noise from Puppy. (laughs) He wants to be part of the podcast, too. Yeah, he's flying for attention (laughs) at this point. (sighs) But yeah, I was just like super inspired by her Instagram, Prairie Smoke Threads. So, um, Liz, can you just kind of tell us, first of all, where did the name Prairie Smoke Threads come from? Yeah, Prairie Smoke actually is one of my favorite flowers. Um, But I didn't initially settle on that. I was trying to use my name in some way, shape, or form originally, but there's so many Elizabeth M's or P's or O'Brien's out there, so it was really hard. And I was like, well, let's just try this. And and it kind of was the first one that actually was available, because I didn't realize that starting an Etsy shop is very much like trying to find a username for like an email. It's it's hard because there's so many out there. Sure, because you want to stand out. Yeah. Hmm. But a lot of it was just the tie to my favorite prairie flower and just the tie to home. And um, I'm very much at home in the prairies and in the Northwoods too. So those are two of the places that make my heart sing essentially. Totally. And that was totally like captured on your page. Like that's the first thing I noticed. Like you have all these photos of knitting outside and when you're finding the glass in the shores, I, and then like 
when I was browsing your page, you like even named some of your, your crafts after like, um, the bean and bear beanie and little Marie beanie. I just, I love that. But before we get into that, let's talk about when you got into knitting. You said you started doing it as a child. Yeah. So knitting, knitting came, yeah, when I was 11 or 12. I asked my grandma, she's a big knitter. And so I asked her to teach me and she looked at me and she goes, I don't know if I can help you because she wasn't confident in her ability to be able to do that. She's also a righty and I'm a lefty. So there's that whole brain switch. So I actually ended up just sitting in front of her for hours, just watching her, like, like <laughs> just a, studying her hands. Yeah. Like I was <laughs> yeah. looking in a mirror and then I started doing it with her too. She gave me a set of needles and some extra yarn and like, I just started mirroring, mirroring her movements and just kind of clicked after that and I stuck with just the very basic stitches for a long time and then um, knit pretty solidly through high school and then took a huge break in college. And so when you were doing it like through high school and everything that was basically just as a hobby and were you even gifting things to friends at that time or was um, it just kind of a thing kind that you... Of, it was more just to do it and just do something with my hands. I feel like I had a lot of nervous energy, but didn't really know what to do with it. So it was kind of like a fidget. So I used it just to kind of keep my hands busy. And But I knit a lot of scarves. I knit a lot of washcloths, a lot of dish towels that I think my mom still uses. I'm not sure. So mostly I was just gifting stuff at that point and then um, kind of dropped off in high school as I got more involved in being outdoors and going on backpacking trips. That's when I took my first backpacking trip was in high school. Yeah, that was my first real experience on the North Shore was backpacking on the SHT. And so I went up for a week in my junior year of high school. So I was 16, 17 at the time. And I just go back anytime I can now. Um, anytime I can sneak away and I try to if I can, at least once a month, because it's like going to church for me, essentially. So that's like, I have to do it. It's just so integral, just maintaining some sort of sanity. Absolutely. Um, so I totally understand that. Yeah. Like being in the city for me is not my comfort zone. And so I'd rather be out in an open space. And so it's like a little bit of nature therapy getting out there. It so. is. It totally is. That's, yeah, that's one thing we have totally fallen in love with too. Like, that's what hiking through life is all about. Nature yeah, therapy and just exactly. being outdoors, immersing yourself in the outdoors. Yeah. But so when you said that that was your first backpacking trip, did, were you knitting on that backpacking trip at all? Not that one. I wasn't. Um, it was my first one, so I didn't really know what to expect or anything like that. And like I said, I kind of dropped off knitting in high school and or end of high school and then into college. I didn't knit at all. And then I actually got back into it um, when I worked for the Student Conservation Association after graduating college. I got into it again. I hadn't picked up my needles in like six years, so I was like, can I even cast on anymore? I have no idea. And I had to act out a skit because they give you all these little skits for trainings and things like that. And it happened to be my role was this person who was knitting while a presentation was being given. And so, <laughs> oh, the, perfect. yeah. And so the person was trying to like premise of the skit was to like, how do you deal with adversity when you're trying to give a presentation or like keep a s audience engaged or whatever. And I was like trying to figure out how to do it. And I just grabbed some pencils, I think from a bin or something and like kitchen twine. And I was like, well, let's see if I can do it. And, <laughs> and then I did. And so then I haven't really put down my needles since. And that was six years ago now. So it's been kind of crazy. And I just kept it really basic, like up until that point. And only in the last couple of years have I really like started um, doing more color work or doing more texture stitches and really trying to expand my knitting knowledge. So I think I've grown a lot in that aspect in the last couple of years up until that point. So yeah, it was really just kind of trying to get back into it again at that point. So I was trying to really just hone those skills that I had previously had. And But in recent years, I've started taking my knitting outdoors with me, and I just love doing that. It just feels right. Right. That's so. That's so, just been kind of a recent year. Yeah. Like, finding. Well, kind of a year, two years or so, when I really like started like thinking about this prairie smoke threads kind of thing. Like, what am I trying to do with it? Um, I don't have a marketing background or anything like that. So I'm like, but I'm trying to sort of be cohesive. Sorry about my dog. <laughs> He's trying to play with the cat. 
So <laughs> back to um, knitting. So like the outdoors has just recently been a thing where you've been knitting outdoors. Do you have a favorite spot that you like to go or specifically on the North Shore when you're knitting? Um, usually it is on the North Shore. Park Point is probably one of my favorite places to go um, just because I really I used to get up. I get up really early, and so it's nice to go out there at, like, 6 in the morning when no one is out there. And I make my coffee, bring my French press out there, and I just sit there. Like, post up against a log, and I just sit there and, like, watch the sun and feel the breeze if it's coming off the lake. And I just... It's just, like, work with your hands. That sounds beyond meditative. Oh, it's wonderful. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I mentioned earlier, too, knitting more so in the last couple years has really become kind of a therapy for me, too. Just, right, because you said it was kind of, like, to, like, lower your anxiety over things. And... Yeah, I feel, and, like, going off of, like, being in the city, for me, it, it's very claustrophobic, and so knitting is just a way to kind of help curb that anxiety and nervousness, and so for me, like, then if I get to do them both outside, that's, like, double trouble, like, double whammy, like, it's perfect to be able to do both of them, and if I can't go up north, I'll just sit out on my back deck sometimes and just hang out there because it's... Isn't that amazing? Like, the, like, natural therapies that people can find when, like, there's all these medications being given constantly. But, like, this is a perfect example of just, like, a natural therapy that you're doing. And it's a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, well, and it's, like, it's amazing. It's one of those things where I can still be productive, you know, while I'm doing it. So do yeah. any of your, um, like, your hats or, like, the scarves that you made, the neck warmers you made, like, the wrists, you had made, made some wrist things, do any of those, when you're, like, making the patterns for them, are those somewhat inspired by the locations you're at at all? To a point, yeah, the, the, the boreal beanie, that one in particular, that's just very reminiscent of being my time in the Boundary Waters. Um, so I used to... As one in the EE world does, you move around a lot and work for a lot of different companies. So at one point or another, I was a wilderness instructor, too, for VOBS, uh, or Voyager Outward Bound School. I saw that post. And it was something like, I got up today before the the kids woke up, and I was able to have some peace and quiet. Yeah. Yep. And we used to lead, you know, three-week trips out in the Boundary Waters. Either this is for Outward Bound? Outward Bound, yep. And actually that particular trip, there's, I'll, I'll have to find it, but there's a picture of me knitting in my canoe. I, brought, I saw it on Instagram, actually. <laughs> so I brought when it. I saw that, I was like, this girl's so cool. Who knits on a canoe? <laughs> Who's paddling for you, first of all? Well, we were at a standstill at that point. Our crew, like our students were, we handed them the map and said, okay, you got to figure out where we're going. And they couldn't come to any form of consensus about what direction to go. And so my co-instructor and I just were like, okay, well, we'll just hang here while you guys figure it out. And it was an hour before they even made a decision. So we were just sitting there. Um, and I was, so they were just like communicating for an hour. Was it like an argument about where to go? Uh, No, there was just a lot of uncertainty on their part and no one really wanted to, they were just, they were a very indecisive group overall and they had a very hard time making a decision because I think they were afraid to like be rude, quote unquote. Um, and they really just wanted us to make the decision for them and like, no, you're 16, you're allowed to make decisions. So. Yeah, it was really trying to give them the, or like empower them to be able to do that and have some ownership over their expedition was the whole point of it. Um, Right. So, hey, this is so cool. I feel like we're bouncing around, but I want to talk about that too. There's so many things to talk about. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, like naturalists, naturalists like bounce around a lot. So you get all, you get this like weird eclectic experience, which manifests itself in something like this, where it's like nothing really fits but it all does at the same time and yeah obviously no one can see liz's wall but but there's like a bird's nest there's a painting of a bird there's a lot of plants there's some leaves hanging you're probably drawing them out that is yep that's japanese wild indigo that's dying or dying it's drying so that i can use it for dyeing wool eventually wow Um, so do you dye all your wool like that um, no, but the natural dyeing is something I want to get into. Um, that's a whole nother gamut of things. So that's, that's goldenrod dyeing, drying, drying right there too, because I want to use it eventually. And then I have some sumac berries that are up there as well. Um, and I have marigolds downstairs and onion peels and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I got a little apothecary going on. Onion peels. Hold on. Where do onion peels tie into the wool? 
You can use them for dyeing. For dyeing wool. So um, I have a whole, like, plethora of, like, saved pages and books and things like that on natural dye dye works. Um, And you really don't even have to look farther than your kitchen for things to dye wool or dye anything with if you wanted to. Um, I'm thinking about cranberries. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yep. (laughs) Beets, black beans, um, onion peels, avocado peels, everything. Black beans can yield a really pretty blue if you don't have Japanese wild indigo at your disposal. But black beans are really easy to come by. So oh my gosh. And so this time, so you um you work at Galewood's farm. Is a lot of the process of dyeing wool something you've learned from them? Yes. Yeah. And I think what I if I take a take a big step back here, um, I mentioned that I didn't really expand too much in the world of knitting until really a couple years ago and Gail Woods really helped with that um, as far as also expanding my knowledge of just wool in general. So before we even started recording we were talking I asked you do you know what it means when I process wool or whatever and like that's something that I didn't know how to do. I didn't know anything about that until a year and a half ago. Um, And so going there has just like my knowledge base has just tripled. Um, and I just have a better appreciation, I think, for how things are made and just the sustainable process that Gilwoods encompasses when they do that. Because it's not just wool there. It's not just fiber that they produce. They produce vegetables and fruits and a whole bunch of other stuff, eggs, all, all of that for their local community, too. So it's this whole just organic kind of process that is there to give back to the community and to the environment that they are occupying. So they operate on a sustainable agriculture model, which is really cool. So the park itself is very heavy on the farm, but but it's also a wilderness at the same time. And that is something that they try to really educate the public about and or challenge maybe is a better way to say it. They try to challenge the, the school of thought of like, can agriculture be wilderness too? And so they challenge that thought a lot. Well, it's Just, all very intertwined. It yeah. Is, yeah. It's, and it's, but a lot of, it, I think there's a, there's more of a paradigm shift in the last however many years of agriculture where you see a lot of more, a lot more organic farms popping up because of that knowledge base, like growing about that interdependence. And so anyway, I think that really is how like my knowledge has grown so much because of being there and I and dying wool, learning how to process it and take it apart and look at it really from the ground up is just really cool and um, I was thinking about it actually the other day because I was there and I was picking a, a fleece apart so each chunk of wool or lock of wool if you will uh-huh. like it comes off like a chunk of our hair and if you look at it you can see there's lots of crimp in there right? yeah um so what picking is, is you're literally just pulling it apart like this to break open those fibers so that you can wash it e- more easily. But even if you look at just this lock by itself, like you can tell a lot about the sheep, like it's last six months to a year of its life just by looking at that. That's like looking at a tree and knowing its age. Yep, I was <laughs> really? just, yeah, I was, yeah, literally you can look at it, um, yeah, with very similar to a tree. You can look at the rings of a tree and say, is it a good growing year? Is it a bad growing Mm -hmm. year? Does it have these scars? With sheep, you can tell by the length of the lock, did it have a good growing year, if you will, or the crimp? And you can tell about its overall health, which is really cool. Is that like the process you go through in order to start knitting? Like first you like tear it apart? Yeah. Any yarn that you would buy in a store all goes through this process. It has to be picked through. It's like a, oh my gosh, there's 20 some steps. The big ones though are like picking through it, washing it, and then spinning it essentially. Um, but it has to, or it has to be carded too, which means combed. Obviously there are big fiber mills out there, lots of places like that. But I think one of the things I really like being at the farm too is, uh, it also helps with my anxiety personally is because the, the process there is intentionally slower. And so they break it down like that, um, just to really be able to see it through and make those connections to the products you're right like you're truly understanding where the products are coming from and how it's all processed and yeah it's just like going from farm to store like you're really seeing where it's 
come yeah. from. And I think that's something that our world has really lost. Yeah. And it's the same <laughs> thing too, if you were to go out and forage for something in the woods. So like we do that as well. Every spring we make a special trip up to go forage for ramps because that's like our favorite treat in the springtime. And there's something about the seasonality of it that gets you just so excited. I was going to insert a really bad pun in there, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> You can. I was going to say, it's going to get me so ramped up about <laughs> ramps. <you know>? like, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so it just, like, builds off the excitement of, like, the changing of the seasons, too. It's one more reason to be excited about that. And I think in our society today, we've really just lost those connections. Um, so that's one of those, one of the reasons I try to knit up north or in the woods or outside if I can just to maintain that connection because being in a city it's easy to lose those connections you know so for me it's just yeah. they're very those things are very intertwined in my own life you mentioned you um your background was being a naturalist mm -hmm. so my background is in wildlife and botany and all of that and so I used to do work in prairie restoration too um, and it was kind of based around the cities and it was some of the folks I worked with, it was very hard to kind of see eye to eye on some stuff. So I had some major confidence issues working there and trying to find my place. And so Outward Bound kind of happened because I, I just wanted to challenge myself in a different way and like really put myself out of outside my comfort zone, which is what Outward Bound is all about. <laughs> um, they, have, they have this quote of, like, life begins at the end of your comfort zone, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not kind of in that zone in between, like, just on the outside of your comfort zone, you're not actually really learning. So if you're in your comfort zone, you're just stagnating, essentially. So if you're constantly being pushed, you're constantly going to be thinking about how to solve problems. And I think where I was at, it was not really... Um, being pushed to solve anything. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of felt like I was like, okay, I just need a change. And that all kind of happened um, with like my husband and I kind of having some, we had a rough patch too. So we we're just trying to figure some stuff out. So I was like, oh, I'm going to just take some time for me and get myself sorted out, try to. And that's kind of how that happened. And met a lot of really great people up there who are very, like happy, outgoing, confident in themselves and just want to be out there helping other people do the same. But sure. And that just kind of like was just so just um, th that energy yeah. was just like, it was overwhelming to be sure, but it was also just this, it felt like walking into a large hug. <laughs> really? I don't know how to describe it yeah. other than that because everyone just like yourself, so warm, welcoming, just big personalities came in and they're just like, oh yeah, Liz, here, how you doing? You know, like, come on in, come over here, come sit with us. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Do you want to go for a hike? Do you want to go pick blueberries? Do you want to like go kayaking after you're done working for the day? Sure. I'd love to do those things. So it was very... And these were the employees of Outward Bound. Yeah. All the instructors, um, all did that. And I mean, I was there, I started as an intern there, so I kind of went down to the bottom, and then the next year and the year after that, I was um, an assistant instructor and then lead instructor, and so you kind of just work your way up. A lot of folks come from backgrounds with um, like things like outdoor education, but there were even some who were preschool teachers beforehand, or they were um, social workers, so there's a lot of that that goes into it as well, so you really... You don't really have to have a background in OE just to work for Outward Bound. They come from everywhere. Right, because, I mean, it's really about, like, building up confidence, like you were saying, those 16-year-olds that needed to make that decision. It's about mm -hmm. working high schoolers to build confidence and make decisions and yeah. working them through the life process. And yeah, and so <laughs> essentially that's what it was, is just taking kids out in the woods and using the wilderness as the classroom to teach them life skills. It wasn't so much just learning how to paddle a canoe or set up your tent. Like, those were important skills to learn, but that wasn't the point. The point was to learn how to communicate effectively or to solve conflict and um, be, in a, like, just a compassionate, empathetic human, really, is learning how to teach kids empathy. 
because even as adults, we lose that sometimes, I think. Absolutely. Um, I think we lose that when we're just like staring at a screen all day or just in the rush of the busy city. So mm -hmm. when all of that's taken away, when you go up to the boundary waters with yeah. high schoolers, yeah. take it all away from them, that's when things really matter. It is. Yeah. That's when things happen. Like the way that the our bond outward bound model works is they start an expedition in what's called their training mode and you as the instructor are in there like in their face kind of like a parent you're constantly there showing them how to do something reminding them how to do it constantly just checking in with them kind of to the point where they're like okay okay i got this i'm i don't need you anymore and so then you um, graduate them to their main part of their expedition where they took the training wheels off but mm. mom and dad instructors are still there in the periphery to like catch them if they fall, but they've got a little bit more freedom. And, and then, so this just like knowing like what you've already said with like your anxieties and your introvert, like how, like that sounds like it was a huge challenge for you. It was. Is that why you brought the knitting with you? Cause you were like, this is going to calm me down in some way. <laughs> a little bit. I think at that point I was like, I just wanted something to do. Cause I, I knew that I would get to that point where I was like, I'll be bored because once you get to, bored but also anxious at the same time but once they get to the final phase of their expedition you're basically hands off and they are yeah, running the like show let your wings fly yep and so that's when they sink or swim and that when i had the knitting in the canoe that was a that was a sink moment for them <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't want to take the initiative to do anything so we we actually pushed them onto final because they were just happy to coast along and let us kind of eventually make the final decision and we're like no <laughs> no we're gonna we're just gonna meander and they didn't quite have the cause and effect down they didn't understand that they're you know taking the time in the middle of the day like an hour to make a decision equates to a loss of an hour for you getting to camp and then by the way you're going to be eating dinner in bug hour which uh-huh every night we ate in bug hour <laughs> making dinner in bug hour and, right oh, and just like yeah. making sure you get to camp before sunsets if you're arguing everything well a lot to go into we never got to camp before the sunset <laughs> ever Oh gosh, we had our headlamps out when we were paddling. <laughs> um, or just as the sun was like setting, you're like, oh, okay, it's dark, bugs are out now. <laughs> Sweet. Um, some instructors you work with are pretty strict and others are not. And it's just every instructor tends to find their own groove. And it's nice to be paired with someone who is more strict if you're a little bit more lax, just so that there's a good balance between the two of you and personalities. Mm hmm. I like that because you can really kind of craft how you want it to play out. Yeah. Is the way I'm understanding it. Yep. And each instructor pair is unique too because they get they get to basically design their own expedition too. So no crew, if you will, takes the same route. Each instructor pair designs their own route. So you could you'll meet up with other groups for sure, because there's any number any where from like 10 to 30 expeditions out yeah. at a time. So yeah. you're constantly meeting other people out there and yeah. even other groups from like Minojin or Camp Warren, you'll see them out there too. And that's the other, that's the fun part too, especially when you're a group who are this like shy teenagers and they meet these random people who are like other adults in there and they like don't quite know how to interact with them. But at the same time, you get to be a proud parent, if you will, when you watch them, like they've got They've got the pack in, pack out kind of thing, like just down pat, especially at a portage once they have yes. been doing it for a while. And one of the challenges we used to give them was we call it a perfect portage, which means we can either give them a time limit for how long to do a portage or um, we efficiently get all our packs in and packs out and the canoes and everything from one end to the other. And no pack is left behind or no paddle is left behind kind of thing. Um, and they have to like meet that challenge in order to gain some perks or something like that. Right. Um, it's like graduating them on to the next level. Yeah. We had one particular day where someone forgot, I think it was our day pack, which had like some first aid kit stuff in it and like our map, some other maps, <laughs> some important stuff, some important stuff. Yeah. Someone, <laughs> someone <laughs> forgot it like three lakes back and we all went back to go get it and that was they were not happy about that but it was a good like illustration of like sometimes that's life and so that's that's the whole the other point of it is like even though this really sucks in the moment 
and this thing, you'll never probably have to do it again in your life, but it's still applicable to real life because there are times you're gonna, you're gonna drop the ball and you're gonna, you're gonna have to own that and deal with it and work through it. Absolutely. And that's just like, obviously we both align with like how the outdoors can create those like really strong lessons that are applicable to everyday life. But it's so stressful too. They can be really stressful. I had moments where I think one of those expeditions, it was really cold. Actually, it was like 40 degrees on average for 21 days and it was rainy almost every day. And I had one day where like my fingers literally quit working. Like I could not, I had, I bathroom so bad and like I could not unzip my rain pants <laughs> I was like my brain and my I was like trying to get the synapses uh-huh. to fire and like they like I was like fingers like you have to do this and they would not like I was like my we were all oh mildly my hypothermic at that point I think everyone was not happy that was a good day <laughs> so you have like the boundary waters the prairie restoration mm-hmm. what else has like kind of crafted your background in Prairie um, smoke threads. Um, trail work. So that's what I did at the Student Conservation Association. And that is a form of creativity I think that is underrated. I mean, those rock staircases don't just show up out of nowhere. Um, like, there's a lot of work and thought that goes into how those are made. And um, those stones that they got for steps often probably were harvested, if you will, dug out from the ground right then and there. Maybe maybe 500 feet away, maybe 200 feet, maybe 50 feet. But they had to roll those stones there to be able to put them in there. and Or to fill in, to do some backfill in there. They had to, like, make crush, which is sledgehammering giant rocks into tiny pieces. So, like, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's a really, I think it's an underrated art form in a way. And Yeah, unfortunately, we've never been out to do trail work. We really need to make an effort to go do that. And give back to the trail. But um, it is such a... It is under underappreciated, I think. Yeah. And, like... Um, so, working with the SCA, we, we built a lot of bridges. And um, built a lot of staircases. Made, built a lot of water bars um, to divert water off the trail. We did so much stuff. Um, I think my favorite project was building an old... Was building a hemlock bridge. Um, we don't have hemlocks here in Minnesota. Uh, Wisconsin's actually their far western range. But hemlock is a really cool um, uh, evergreen tree that they have out east. Uh, Anyway, I got to build this hemlock bridge and I basically got to fly through the air. Like I was hooked up to this rigging system with a chainsaw and I'm sitting there like smoothing out these logs with a chainsaw and there's like no easy way to do this because I'm over this river that if I fall, like, the saw goes in the water, I go in the water, and I probably would, like, break my neck because there's so many boulders in that river if I fell. Were you wearing a helmet? Oh, of course. Okay. Um, lots of, <laughs> yes, all my per- personal protective equipment, yes. all of it, yeah. Helmet, chaps, stilto boots, all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, using a chainsaw for the first time was, like, I didn't know what to do. Like, it was really hard because I mentioned earlier, I'm a lefty. All chainsaws are right-handed. Did not know that when I first started that, but now it's second nature. So it just takes practice. And, and chainsawing is an art form too, by the way. Like that, that takes some skill to be able to. I actually won a chainsaw competition that we did with the SCA of just like trying to fell a tree and then um, shaving bits and pieces of the wood off this tree to get it to bend without snapping. And so, it's, so you're an artist in many forms, takes, yeah. is what I'm gathering here. <laughs> it takes a lot of like patience to be able to do it, and yeah, like I don't, I never used. To, so that's another thing. I never like to think about myself as an artist, but I think everybody's an artist in their own way. That's a whole other gamut. It's hard to like think about yourself that way when you're just making things for fun. Um, but recently, I took a community ed class actually to learn knob bending which is, it translates to needle binding, which is kind of like a form of crochet and knitting all in one. It's kind of weird. It predates knitting and crochet. Um, a lot of folks might refer to it as Viking knitting. Okay. Um, and, but it's a really old craft. So, so what kind of things are you making with those? Is this still going to be scarves and hats or is that totally separate? Yeah, that actually, that 
the reason I took that class was just to like stretch my fiber skills because I was like, okay, I, as a artist, I was going to say, I think that it's really important to learn everything you can about your, the craft you're doing or whatever your art form is. Like how I was saying, working at the farm has really helped develop my knowledge base of being a fiber geek, if you will, fiber freak, um, learning everything about it. But then I think it's also important to kind of either dabble in other types of art or learn different ways to um, expand inside whatever your niche is too. And so that's partly why I took this smell bending class was just to learn a different way to manipulate yarn basically and usable in a different way than knitting. And so what I'm working on right now is a hat. Um, the instructor we had like she was great. She just, I mean, we had three classes, but she just taught us some basic stitches and she said, okay, pick your favorite stitch and that's going to be the stitch you use to make whatever your hat is. And so this class you went to, like, was that like totally beginner? Like even like I could step in and do that? Yep. You're saying like those are just yeah. for anyone. Yep. It was a total beginner class and she's teaching an advanced snow bending class in January at the Swedish Institute. Um, and that one, we're going to learn how to do mittens and things like that. So things that require a little bit more skill. It was just kind of fun, just something fun to do and try something new. And that's kind of, that's actually where the beach class came in was trying to figure out something else to do inside my knitting umbrella or underneath my knitting umbrella rather. Um, because it takes a long time to make a hat or a scarf or whatever. And I was yeah. Trying. How long does it take? Like, um, hour wise, I suppose that's yeah. Mm, kind of depends on the yarn you're using. So if I'm using a really thick yarn, like the one that's your scarf is made out of, I could probably whip out something in maybe three, four hours, oh. maybe quicker than that. If I have no breaks, <laughs> um, <laughs> as I point to my dog, um, <laughs> but depends if I'm like, I have something there that I started with a much thinner yarn that probably took me on average. If I started it, finished it all in one go, probably 24 hours. Um, and that's those wrist cuffs. Those take a long time to make a, because it's a smaller yarn, but, um, the needle I use is really tiny. So my hands cramp up. <laughs> so I have to yeah. give my hands, hands a break. Um, so then I go back and forth between something that takes me longer Versus a instant gratification project, mm -hmm. like hats or scarves or something like that. Um, or like this sweater I've been working on for months, since July, actually. And I keep putting it down because I have craft shows that I'm trying to prep for. So I'm like, okay, I don't need to keep making stuff for myself, which I never really do. It just came, knitting was mostly about putting my stuff out into the world for other people to enjoy. It was always about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Only Even as a high schooler? Yep. And only this year really have I started making things intentionally for myself and saying, I'm actually going to keep that this year. So I'll make something, oh, I really like that hat. I wanted to keep this for myself, um, but I'm like, nope, I'm going to put it out there because why not? So... I don't need another That's hat. a good way to like judge things though. If you would wear it yourself, then obviously someone else will want it, you know? Well, that was the other thing. Part of my process is to try and be as intentional as possible. And I don't think I'd want to spend the time making something or wearing something on my person that I myself didn't want to wear. So that's kind of the intention behind all the things that I make is would I wear it? Um, those, the arrow patterns or the tree patterns, like that's all very personal as far as my connection to being outside. And then like the arrow, um, like Wander, Happy Wander, that's actually a little town in northern Minnesota in the Arrowhead region, like an unincorporated community um, near Ely, actually. And so all the, the names of my stuff come from places that I've spent time or are in some way special to. Yeah, I thought I the names were so cool. Like you had. Park Point Beanie. Like you said, Park Point was one of your favorite places that you've been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wolfridge Ear Warmer, that is... So the once one summer with our band, I literally hiked the same section of the SHT five different times. <laughs> literally. <laughs> like the same 10-mile stretch five different times with five different groups. <laughs> Okay. Seen you knew where all the rocks were. I knew where all the rocks were. I knew where all the ramps were. I knew where all the blueberry patches were. Yeah. I knew every curve of the trail. And I thought, okay, it was the section um, as you're leaving Tetaguch. 
state park and going up toward Wolf Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, all right, there's the lake. Okay, I can see the tower. All right, Wolf Ridge earworms. Um, That's it, where the inspiration came from. Yeah. So I was like, okay. The, it might have been like a labor of love in a, in a way because it was like, oh, I get to hike the same stretch of trail again. But at the same time, like it was beautiful because I discovered a new section of the trail the first time I did it. I'd never been to section 13 and we, that was part of the trail we were on. That section is awesome. Yeah. The like, views. The view. Yes. I was like, my whole mind just went, whoa. Just this panoramic view mm-hmm. of not even the lake itself, which I find mostly beautiful, but just the inland part was just, <gasps> I think what was really special about it that particular summer and why the earwormer ended up being named Wolfridge earwormer was because I got to watch the transition of spring into summer and then into fall. And like that transition was so cool to watch. That's such a beautiful way it kind of intertwined together. Yeah. So that's how a lot of stuff ends up. And were you knitting? Did you have your knitting with you that summer? That whole summer? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I brought all of that with me um, in hopes that I would have some downtime. But as it turns out, as an outward pod instructor, you don't have a lot of downtime. And any downtime you do have, you're like, okay, I got to quick make some notes. And then now I'm going to crash. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially. Or scarf a snack that... you know, the students don't know you have because all the instructors had Snickers bars or cheese sticks (laughs) hiding in their packs. (laughs) Because, of course, so we would hoard food. We hoarded food, our own food, and we would, like, I'm going to go take a tree ID break and, like, hang back and, like, like, literally just pound a Snickers bar. Or I'm going to, like, turn around and go tie my shoes and, like, wolf half a bar now. Take a big bite, yes. (laughs) Um, So, those are good times. (laughs) Um, Do you have, like, a favorite item that you've made, that Um, you've knitted? And then we're going to talk about your glass earrings that you made. Yeah, of course. I think the the Riffs Cups are probably my favorite, um, even though they take the longest. But I think... What's special about those and the pattern in particular is actually inspired by from this book right here that I have knitting from the north. Um, the woman who makes those patterns, she's actually from Scotland. She lives and works on the Orkney Islands, so they're in the north up there. So very inspired by that and the colors. But um, the arrow in particular is special to me just because I have a serious case of wanderlust half the time. And I'm always thinking about where I want to go or uh, where I want to be and where I want to end up. And as are any adventures. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I really like... It's not a bad thing at all. Yeah. So I guess in a way, those cuffs are kind of like a compass that doesn't really point anywhere in particular. But it's like you can have it on your hand or your wrist at one point or another. And it's just going to kind of point you in the direction of where you're going at the time. And But I've always been kind of free-spirited in that way, and I think that's one reason why I've bounced around a lot um, in my career, and even geographically. Um, being out in New Hampshire, I was out there for the SCA, um, and while I was in school, I worked in Nevada for a summer, and I was in Montana for a while, just all over the place. So it's, I think about wanting to go all those other places, so I think that's why those, those wrist cuffs are my favorite. Um, and I've been toying with the idea of um, manipulating the pattern to be a hat too, or a scarf as well, just because it's such a cool motif, I think. Oh, that's cool. So. Have you ever thought of knitting like, um, like a koozie to go over like a coffee mug? I have. We actually made cool. these at the farm for, we had a, a local babies and libations event this past spring. <laughs> and so we had all the farm babies and we're like, how do we, we're going to be letting folks bring in alcohol. We got to give them a takeaway. And so we're like, how do we make these beer koozies? And they took forever to develop the template for this and the process for making them. But it, in the end, like it worked out really well. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a different story for a different Super time. Cool. <laughs> anyway, it's a really fun event. So if you go next year, it'll be like, it'll next year. It'll be great. Um, so we did it in the fall too, but it wasn't, it wasn't as fun without farm babies. Okay, when is this event usually? Um, in the spring. Okay. So, like, April-ish? When all the lambs are being born and they're uber cute and fluffy and just adorable. Perfect, we'll watch for that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, your glass. Like, I, like, um, 
Do you just like when you go out to get these this glass for the shore? Like, what's the process for that? Do you just start like digging in the sand under North um, Shore, or like, are you looking for certain glass, certain colors, certain um, shapes? No, not in particular. So when I search for glass, um, actually, the way glass came about was the fact that I'm a, I love searching for agates, and that's and then I just started picking up glass. Mostly, I thought it was glass that other people had just like left behind, and so I started picking it up with the intent of recycling it <laughs> originally. Um, but then I noticed, started to see how cool some of the patterns were on the glass, the shapes. Um, I had found one in particular that I didn't want to give away, but I made it into a necklace and someone bought it. But this piece of glass in particular, I thought in my head it was shaped like Lake Superior and I thought it was just so cool. Um, and I toyed for a long time about keeping that piece for myself, but I ended up sending it out there and the woman was so grateful for it. I actually talked to her face to face when she bought it. But anyway, I, I don't search for particular pieces or um, colors. I just pick up what I can find and I see whatever might be usable. Like I bring it all home and then I go through it. Um, if it doesn't have like a particular good amount of weathering on it, if you will, or if it's like looking not quite as buffed, I will throw it back and say, do your magic lake and turn it out in 10 years and yeah. and then I'll see what it looks like. Um, <laughs> I'll come back to you when you age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but no, I just kind of pick up whatever I see. I don't dig for it. Um, I just literally meander along the beaches. And that's why Park Point for me has been the best place to do that. And I have a buddy up north, actually. He he lives in Duluth, and so I go stay with him once in a while. And he kind of really has driven my desire for doing that because he's like, oh, yeah. And he'll send me pictures all the time. He's like, big waves today. That means there's going to be a lot of glass tomorrow. And so after... <laughs> so it's like your Christmas. You're like, yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so after big storms is usually when you see the most glass that gets churned up because of all the underwater current action. And um, he... He showed me his secret spot, and so now I just... We won't reveal that on the podcast. Um, <laughs> all, I know, all I can tell you is I came back with bags of it, like like bag, like gallons of bags full, and I just combed the beach like a 500-foot stretch back and forth a few times and filled my bags, and I was like, wow. Um, so it's it was crazy. Like I, I almost felt guilty for doing that because I'm like, it's like it's not fair chase at that point so some yeah. of it i might actually just bring back and put it back in the lake but it's all in a bin down there there's like 10 pounds of it in that bin right now <laughs> but um yeah i don't do anything to the glass like i don't manipulate it in any way i just drill a hole in it and thread it and call it good and you don't do anything to smooth them out whatsoever nope they're like some pieces are definitely more buff than others and smoother than others wow they're just, they look too perfect to be, like, straight out of the I know. Like, yeah. A lot of them, right. like, yeah, they'll look just like that, which is crazy, and it yeah. just depends. I mean, there are definitely people who sell beach glass, but it's been put through a tumbler or something like that, and you can tell the difference between the grains really easily. I've never used a tumbler, so I have no idea how it works, but <laughs> I just pick it up and drill a hole in it and... Like I said, put your wires through it. That's amazing. <laughs> like, that's magical that it's just, like, like... Yeah, and actually the jewelry wasn't even on my radar in the beginning at all. Um, the original thought with the beach glass had to do with stitch markers that I make. And the idea for them kind of just came because I had all this beach glass. And I was like, what am I going to do with it? Or I could just recycle it. Or I have another neighbor two doors down. She collects beach glass, too. She has... Larger tote bins full more than I do. Um, so I was like, oh, I can give it to give it to Amy. Um, but no, the idea for those came originally because I was just trying to, like I said, think about differently priced items for things. And I know that there are lots of people in the world who use fancy stitch markers. It's kind of like how maybe our generation puts stickers on everything, you know, to like yeah. show where we've been or what we like. Mm -hmm. And... I feel like a lot of um, knitters are the same way with their projects. They like to have bling on their projects. Um, I don't personally, <laughs> but it's just like a thing 
just a pretty thing that people like. Like and the logo of the stitch stitching world in a way. Kinda, yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at other Etsy pages or just type in stitch markers, you'll see just tons of them. Like, not just beach glass stitch markers, you will see, like, they look like little, like, things you would put on a charm bracelet kind of thing. Like, stuff like that. So people love that stuff. And, um, it kind of goes, it's contradictory to what I said about, like, what I want to make things that I would wear. And, um, the idea for making them the way that I did was so that if you did want to use them as stitch markers, they could be earrings. <laughs> Because those are just lever back ear clasps. Oh, yeah. Um, so they could be earrings. And so the original intent, too, was to kind of find somewhat matching pieces. So that, that could be an option for some folks if that's how they wanted to use them. But I had a woman, actually, she asked me, she want, she bought them because she wanted to use them as wine glass markers. Like for, for like, as a hostess or whatever, so folks know which wine oh, glass yeah. is theirs. So she right. wanted to use them for that purpose. Um, so many ways to interpret it. Yeah. Like, another woman bought a set and she wanted, um, she, was, she told me her story. Her grandfather had just died and he was from the UP. So he grew up right on Lake Superior there. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to give away, like, keepsake urns for all the grandkids. And she wanted to put those on the urns. And I was like, okay. That's really cool. That's super like, beautiful how everyone, like, has some form of connection to yeah. the late glass yeah. that they're using in all these different very personable ways. Yep. And I had another woman recently email me about a particular pendant that I had, and she goes, can you, are you able to make this into a Christmas ornament or, like, redo it and shape it into a nice, like, dangly Christmas ornament for my Lake Superior loving family? Yeah. I'll, I'll even add some driftwood on it if you want. I got plenty of that, too. <laughs> so, as I said, like, the naturalists are hoarders. So we just put all sorts of... I just I have buckets of stuff. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. It's just, like, opening up your creativity. And, like, you're just, like... Yeah. People are requesting these very personable items made. Yeah, and that's the... I think, really, that's what the my favorite part about it is. Like... I have a couple orders that are going out tomorrow, and I just love handwriting a card, a thank you card, and I haven't wrapped that box yet, but I try to wrap it up um, and put a nice little twine bow or something on it just so that it's, you're, you're, you bought this thing, it's like, I want it to be special for you, and so that's my way of giving back to them for, you know, showing me some love, essentially, mm -hmm. so I want to send that out there with love, too. Um and that's that's just the greatest sense of satisfaction that you can get from someone who either leaves you a nice review or emails you back and says, I love this, or this just, like, is wonderful. This great way to remember my grandpa by or my family or something like that. So it's just, it's a, like I said earlier, it's a humbling feeling yeah. to have that and to know that there are people out there in the world who really are touched by it and love it and it's it can be hard to accept in some ways but that you're doing such this like beautiful thing and I mean that's how I felt about like when I saw your page I was yeah. like wow like she's so connected to nature and you can tell she really spends time doing her work out there yeah. and it's just so inspired by yeah the outdoors and it's it was just this beautiful thing. and Yeah. I like to joke when I go up north that I'm on a business trip. <laughs> like, okay, I'm taking the time to do that stuff, or I'm taking the time to look for the glass, and, but also doing what I need to do to recharge. And, so mm -hmm. and that's kind of the beauty of, like, entrepreneurship and working for yourself in a way, is, like, you can kind of choose the way you're choosing what you do to work and you, yeah. you choose how that, how that looks. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually when you first contacted me, I was in Lutzen for the weekend, um, which is why I didn't respond to you right away. I was up there recharging mm -hmm. with some family and like we were up there for that big storm and it was just seeing that raw power of the lake is the other reason that it's just like, how could you not be inspired by that? And it's just crazy. Yeah. I, I, I can't wrap my hand around that. Like, Right. So. Like the powers of the earth out there. And like, we're all just humans wandering and... We're just this itty bitty thing. Exactly. Um, exactly. So. 
I think it's that in and of itself, like being at the lake for me is just humbling to be there too. And it's just mm-hmm. an instant de-stressor to know, okay, I got this. Like the lake's been doing it for years. I can do this too kind of thing. Right. And, and, and is that how you feel when you're out at like, when you go to your craft shows? So like you mentioned, some of these craft shows are the first ones you've done this year. And like mm-hmm. you said, you were feeling a little nervous about them, a little unsure about them. So how have those gone for you? Have you, have they been a success? I would say so. The first one I did actually was in a small town where my grandpa lives. So I knew a bunch of people who came to it and that you get a lot of weekenders up there cause it's a big, um, like cabin lake. So a lot of folks from the cities come up there. And so I had a lot of that crowd up there. Um, and it was also a rainy day. So it was like one of the only things indoors to do. So there was a lot of traffic there. Um, and actually it felt, I'd never, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I was looking at stuff going, I feel like what I had was really the only unique one of a kind stuff. And so I think in a way that really was what made it a successful day for me. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of folks who were, um, direct sales reps for other companies, um, like Norwex or like oh, yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah. or like Tupperware. And then there were some some crafters too, yeah. but I think I was really one of the only ones. And so I think it was one of the things that people were like, oh, you know, what's going on over there, kind of thing. Um, I was tucked away in this little corner. I was like, is anybody gonna see me? Like, <laughs> but eventually people found me. Um, and actually, the dryer balls were the best selling thing I had. I think I I worked my butt off to make like eighty of those, and I sold out of all of them. Um, so that was really exciting. <laughs> And that was like the last thing that you thought maybe that would like sell that well. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, I have all this like jewelry yeah. and scarves. And- yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm glad because like the, the dryer balls also kind of tie into everything. A, cause it's fiber, but B, um, everything I make is, I try to be intentional about it. Um, and I try to be as sustainable as possible. Well, you can use, reuse it and reuse it and reuse yeah, it. These guys will last forever. Um, and it's 100% compostable, too, if you decide you don't want to use it anymore. Um, and it they help cut down on drying time overall, so it saves you money. Energy efficient. Yeah. Right. So it's, again, like, that's part of the education part is, like, talking to people about what they are. Like, I have little sheets for them so people understand what they're about. But it's one of those things that you're like, how could we not like this thing? Because um, it, you know... It acts like a dryer sheet, but it also acts like a tennis ball in the dryer, and it fluffs up all your laundry, helps reduce static. But then I feel like a traveling salesperson at that point, so <laughs> that's that's where like I get super excited about it. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, that's where the little cards come in because some people are like, okay, I don't want to hear that right now. Anyway, the yeah, the dryer balls they went like hotcakes. I felt really bad. I had to turn some people away because they're like, yeah, we were here and over there. They had some dryer balls. You know, I've always wanted to try them. I heard that a lot from people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, and then this last one that I did, or most recent one that I did was at a winery. And so that was a different crowd too. And it was over in Hudson. It was a little bit slower just because I think um, it was like the first nice day we'd had in a while uh-huh. after a string of like crummy rainy days. And so people were out and about, and yeah. the Stillwater Out Fair was going on that day, too. So there was definitely some competition. So I think it was still successful, but not as successful, I think, compared to the first one, just based on the market and competition. Because McGregor is, you know, a very tiny town, like 500 people live yeah. there. So there's not, there not a saturated market there. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of, you're kind of it if you're doing a craft show there for the weekend. Um, but is there other holiday markets that you have planned? Um, I'm doing one more out at that winery, um, in December. And then I applied to do another small one, um, at Clodagh Coffee in West St. Paul, or not West, on West 7th in St. Paul. Um, that's a cute little coffee shop if you've never been there. It's downtown and it's right next to the Day by Day Cafe, which also has really good food. So you'll be there in December? I think so. I'm waiting to hear back from them fingers crossed um <laughs> but and then i might do a couple up at our we have a little um grocery store up the road here so i might do a few there awesome yeah. so there's a lot of places people can come yeah peek at your stuff yeah <laughs> so we'll see what happens yeah next year i don't know yet um yeah I think my goal is to try and do it a little bit more full-time 
So that's where working from home, there's kind of that flexibility of being able to kind of go back and forth between the two if you need a break from one thing or the other. Because so. you work, do you work at home all the time? Well, when I'm doing curriculum development, yeah. So, but if I'm at the farm, I'm at the farm and because that's a hike to get out there. So, and actually I kind of refer to the farm as my therapy too for the week because it's just nice yeah. to, it's like a, it's like a free eight hour therapy session going out there. It's great. Um, wide open space and yeah, you know, get to hang out with some animals and lots of really cool people too, who are like super supportive and just happy. They love, like they genuinely love their jobs, mm-hmm. <laughs> which can be tough sometimes when you are at a place where other people don't like their jobs. So I think being with people who generally love what they do is just a huge... Oh, absolutely. That energy feeds off. Yeah. It's a huge spirit lifter. So, yeah. So (laughs) hoping to do this full time at some point, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of flexible. Yeah. Um, My life has kind of been in flux right now, actually. I may not be in Minnesota much longer, so we'll see what happens. Um, that wanderlust is getting to you, huh? Yeah, I'm looking at Alaska. Maybe I'll be up there come next year. I'm not sure. So we will see. Wow. Yeah. Where in Alaska? Um, I don't know 100%, but I have a friend um, and actually family who live in the Anchorage area. So it's a good stepping stone to get up there. And, um, my friend who lives up there, she keeps sending me job postings constantly. But she's also like, well... You don't have to work right away. You can just stay with us. Oh. And Seamus has a place, is yeah. what she says. Just knit. So. Just spreads prairie smoke threads throughout yeah. the world. Um, spread the love. Yeah. Interestingly enough, actually, in Palmer, where she lives, um, there's a muskox farm there. And their entire um, mission is to educate people about muskoxen. But also, they've monetized their fiber, which they call kibute. Um, it's a very unique kind of fiber. It's really warm and really expensive but really nice quality and so they that's their other thing is they just produce quibute and like that's how they basically stay afloat <laughs> so it's this really cool nonprofit that does that quibute is like um it takes to harvest it um they have to hand comb it off the mus- musk oxen and then um like just sweep it all into a bag essentially yeah, so that's, like, a lot of work going into it. And, yeah. like, when that, that product is received, like, yeah, the, someone might not even think about all the work that goes into something like that and, mm-hmm. like, all the work that goes into the things that you're making. It's, yeah. Um, just It's just kind of cool to learn about all the different kinds of fibers out there. So, Well, your passion yeah. for it is clear. I think yeah. I've learned more about <laughs> types of wool and... <laughs> And everything in the last hour that I've ever known in my life. (laughs) Is there, um, so people can find you on Instagram. Mm -hmm. What is your name on there? Um, Prairie Smoke Threads is the business one. But if they wanted to look at my personal one, it's elizabeth.outdoors. I kind of go back and forth between each of them. So those are, yeah, your personal one had a lot of like, are you a photographer at all? Is that any of your art? No, because some of those pictures looked like beautifully taken thank you like they to me they look professional no that's <laughs> just me literally on my hands and knees probably trying okay. to like zoom in on something really hard you just have an eye for like artistic things definitely thank you yeah so going back and forth between those it kind of like my personal one is more the inspiration behind everything that ends up on the business one which Still is, like I said, I'm not a marketing person, so I'm still figuring out that game, too. Yeah. Like, learning how to do it. So. So there's that, and then you also have the Etsy page. Yes. Yep, that's probably, I think, where most people end up finding my stuff versus Instagram. Um, A lot of folks, I think, probably just do a general search. Actually, this past year, I was featured in a magazine, too, with my stitch markers, and that really, like, set sales through the roof and I was like oh god I gotta go get more beach class I don't have any and did they just reach out to you that magazine mm-hmm. yeah same way you guys did so they saw it and they're like well our, our this theme we're, go- we're, we're going for a beach theme so we thought these would be perfect you definitely have a beautiful path ahead there's like <laughs> magic unfolding before your eyes so thank you yeah I a lot of things when you first contacted me like I said a lot of things have been in flux and I I kind of gave myself permission to just close one door 
and just to see what would happen and all these other doors have opened up so you you all were a part of that so beautiful things are happening well (laughs) is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners last words I just feel humbled that you all reached out to me and wanted me to be a part of your podcast and I'm excited to see where your guys' journey leads you too because it's been fun to kind of do my homework and learn a little bit about you all too and listen to what you guys are doing and you guys were meant I was listening a little bit to your um as you were doing your cross-country trip and Mm -hmm. it brought back memories of living out east and going oh Vermont and New Hampshire yes yeah (laughs) so yeah it's a lot of I think there's a lot of those like heart-wrenching things that just kind of you just go oh that's so good you know, you just make that connection even if you've never met someone face to face. Absolutely. So. Thank you for being with us today. Yeah, we thank you. loved having you, and we can't wait to see where your journey takes you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Being in Liz's space was really inspiring because it made her story become really natural and real to us when we were hearing it. We were able to see it and just be very tactile with the environment around us. And that kind of helped put the whole story into context. Something Liz mentioned during our time with her was that she believes that everyone is an artist or a crafter if they seek within themselves. And I thought that was such a powerful message because it's true. You know, a lot of the time people say, oh, I'm not good enough to do this. But if you just put your mind to it, you you can do it. And everything kind of turns out unique in its own way. And I just thought that was a really powerful message that I took away from her. You can find inspiration in everything as well. So there is that art or beauty all around you. Um, and Liz finds it on the lakeshore. She finds it in the prairie. And she draws from that inspiration to craft her products. Check her out on social media, Liz Outdoors, or Prairie Smoke Threads is her name to find all of her crafting. Yeah, and check out her Etsy page, Prairie Smoke Threads, and we will have a link to her page in the description of this podcast. So we hope that you enjoyed her story as much as we did, and make sure to check her out. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.